Again, this will be in Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Judge not that you will not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Eliza. Well, good morning and happy Easter. Uh, Easter is the reason we have a church in the first place, so it's an extra gift to, to gather with you guys this morning. And this may seem like a strange passage for Easter. Like Eliza walks up here, and the first words you hear are judge, and you're like, happy Easter to you too. So if you're wondering why are we in this passage on Easter Sunday, well, as a church, we've been walking through the life of Jesus and the Gospel of Matthew, and as we mapped out the preaching calendar earlier this year, this was the passage that landed on Easter, and we felt that it was fitting because this is the section of Matthew where Jesus is giving one of his most famous sermons called the Sermon on the Mount, and at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is when Jesus brings you into his family, his resurrection is so powerful that it should effect an entirely new way of life in those who know him. And so the Sermon on the Mount is resurrected living, as it were, like how we live when we're made new. And so we, we felt that it was fitting for that way. Like, how do we live differently in light of the resurrection to see its practical implications? And so today, and maybe in particular in our cultural moment, this is needed. How does the resurrection change how we think about judgment, right? So judge not. This is probably, probably Jesus' most frequently quoted things that he said out of context. So my friends in high school who smoked weed, uh, they had two favorite verses when people would accuse them. And the first one was, every seed-bearing plant God made is good for eating. (laughs) And then the other one was, judge not. And, you know, as much as I like to get on them for taking that out of context, if I'm honest, I do the same thing, right? When I like to, if I don't say it, I think it, you know, judge not. It's just a way for us to tell people, stop telling me no. And, but more seriously, as we think about this topic of judgment, I mean, this really does have real implications on our lives. And as I was thinking about, you know, a group like this, in general, in any given room, there are at least two groups of people, not only, but at least two groups of people, and you could call them the anxious and the angry. And the anxious are those, and maybe this is you here today, where, especially in in the church context, you have been condemned by a church experience or somebody professing the name of Jesus in precisely the way Jesus is telling us not to do. And it takes every ounce of courage you have to walk into church this morning. And I just want to say that God acknowledges that and we do our best to recognize that. And I I hope you find some comfort in this passage this morning. And then related to that are those who, similar to that group, are those who will say, you know, just you, you shouldn't judge. Like the worst thing you can do is to judge other people. So that's group number one. Second group are the angry. You know, so these are those who say, no, we don't need need to fall into this postmodern liberalism, you know, feely good stuff, sentimentalism. Like, no, we, we have to judge. We can't just sit here as people are making a mess of the world. And this is particularly clear in our political spheres today, right? If anything, we're more tribal than ever, where we have to judge with venom those outside of our tribe. 
And so Jesus comes along as usual, and he invites all of us into something deeper. It's challenging, but it's deeper and better. And so let's look at his teaching here in three parts. First is do not judge. Second, do speak the truth in love. And then number three, in and through me, you can. Okay, so first what we're not to do, do not judge. Number two, but do speak the truth in love. Number three, in and through me, you can. All right, so first, number one, do not judge. So chapter seven, verse one, judge not that you may not be judged. So to clear the air, what is he not saying? And Jesus can't mean never make a moral evaluation about someone's behavior. For at least a few reasons. First, if you say, you know, don't judge me or you shouldn't judge people. Like, you see what you're doing? You're now judging the person for making a judgment. So it's a logically self-imploding position to start. So that's the first reason. Second reason why Jesus can't be saying never make moral evaluation is because he does this and he tells us to do it in this passage. So in verse 6, he tells us to be morally discerning about people. He says, don't give dogs what is holy and don't throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. That sounds confusing. He's using it some idiomatic expressions, but in in essence, what Jesus is saying is there are some people who are so hard-hearted and stubborn that even if you go to them with gentleness and humility to give them wisdom, they're not in a place where they can hear it, and in fact, they may turn and attack you, and so there are times where it's better to just be quiet and wait for a time that they'll actually be ready to hear you. Okay, so he's telling us to exercise moral discernment. And number three, why this can't mean what he's saying is because even just neurologically how God has made us. So I came across this study in the Journal of Neuroscience and apparently just how we're wired for survival or whatever it may be, our brains make a judgment of if somebody is trustworthy within 30 milliseconds. So before we've even taken in their whole being, it has something to do with their cheekbones and their eyes. We've already decided, can I trust this person or not? So especially for those of you who I don't know, you know, you had already judged if I was trustworthy before I even opened my mouth. Don't tell me what your verdict is (laughs) or was, please. But we just, we do this. It's how we're made, okay? And so if Jesus isn't saying never make a moral evaluation about somebody, uh, then what, then what is he saying? And the key is here in verse five, where he says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye before you dress the speck in your brother's eye. And this phrase hypocrite means to be self-deluded. In other words, Don't be so self-deluded that you're blind to your own flaws and you assume the motive of others. You assume what other people need. You assume you're in the place of God to judge other people. And so in essence, what he's saying there is don't put yourself in the place of God when it comes to difficult people. But number two, more broadly, what he's saying here is don't be the kind of person who's just like your reflex is to criticize. Okay, don't be the kind of person who is so quick to find fault and quick to assume ill motive. And so in light of Jesus not wanting us to be self-deluded, I thought it'd be helpful if we ran some tests together to ask, you know, are you a judgmental person? Am I a judgmental person? It'll be fun, okay? So some questions here. I'm borrowing these from a pastor named James Forsyth. I, I found they were helpful. And so number one, you may be a judgmental person if you confuse preference for moral principle. How you load the dishwasher, okay? How quickly should the dishes in the sink be clean has ruined many a household. Hey, maybe it's your eating preferences. 
Okay, maybe you're someone you, you, you adhere to the hipster ethic of, you know, everything is local, sustainable, you know, vegan, vegetarian, and you just can't stand those who don't eat like that. But then it goes the other way too, right? If you're, you eat all the meat you want and you just don't understand why people are so uptight, right, about their food preferences, now you're making a moral evaluation about the preferences you don't even realize that you have. Okay, or number three, and parents, I think you know how easy it is to do this. Okay, assuming that you have the absolute authority on how to parent, right? So it's like you see another parent doing something with their children, you immediately think like, do they even know how to parent? They're ruining their child. I need to step in and address this. Okay, so if you confuse preference for moral principle, you may be a judgmental person. Number two, you may be a judgmental person if you are self-righteous about your strengths, if you're self-righteous about your strengths. And you know this if you tend to be particularly impatient toward people who are weak in the areas you're strong. Okay, so some, some examples. Say you're a person, like your yes always means yes. You're a super committed person. And if somebody doesn't follow through for you, or somebody cancels on you at the last minute, it doesn't just make you sad, but it drives you crazy. Okay, or say you consider yourself a humble person. You're like, yeah, I'm not full of myself. I'm humble. But I can't stand people who are just so full of themselves. They're always talking about themselves. Those arrogant jerks. And now you're always like, now you're being arrogant, about arrogant people, okay? So you're being self-righteous about a strength that you have. Or here's what we do, or at least I hope I'm not alone here. We tend to get self-righteous about things that we just learned or things that we just became good at. So a little while ago, I had to sell my car, and in preparation to sell it, I got it detailed and washed. I rarely wash my car, okay? But I'm driving out of the lot with a, you know, clean car, and I'm driving, and I see these dirty cars around me. I'm like, don't they even care? <laughs> you know, it's like, this is how we work, <laughs> Okay, so if you're self-righteous about your strengths, even if it just recently became a strength, you may be a judgmental person. Okay, number three, you may be a judgmental person if you're quick to form conclusions before having all the data. Okay, so here I think of celebrities who feel the need to speak into every humanitarian crisis. I'm like, you're a 15-year-old pop star. Stay in your lane. Okay, or, or more seriously, you hear someone's political stance and just immediately you assume they're either stupid or evil. Or Christians, quick to conclude that somebody isn't saved. Okay, they may be in a particular theological stream. They may identify with a particular group. You may see a particular behavior and you're just like, oh, there's no way they're a Christian. There's no way they're actually saved. Can you really see into someone's eternal destiny like that? And this is what Jesus means by don't put yourself in the place of God. Okay, and then number four, this may be my favorite because it got me. You may be a judgmental person if you hear this list and you think it applies to everybody else. <laughs> All right, so number one is my mother-in-law. Number two is the person in the seat next to me. Number three is, okay, so yeah, so hopefully we... We all have areas for Jesus to work on. And the point here is Jesus is not saying never stand on truth. His point is, as you do stand on truth, I want you to be a big-hearted people. People who are quick to give the benefit of the doubt. People who are quick to show grace, as God does with you every single day. Okay, so that's number one. Do not judge. Okay, so next number two, what are we to do then? Okay, number two, do speak the truth in love. See verse 5. Here's where we'll linger for a while. You hypocrite, and it's basically summarizing verses 3 through 4 as well. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So notice Jesus doesn't say, 
don't judge, therefore you do you and I'll do me and we'll all just get along and I'll be fine. And this never works in practice anyway with any group that tries to adhere to that ethic. And no, instead, see what he says here. By bringing up the speck and saying, address the speck in your brother or sister's eye, he's saying, the speck is a problem. And if you've ever had a piece of sawdust or a gnat fly in your eye, you know, it's kind of like kind of dead, but still moving a little bit. Like, you know, it's painful and it's, it's a problem. And just speaking personally, I, I was talking with my DG a little bit about this this week. Like the times in my life where I've grown the most have been when people have loved me enough to embrace the awkward and point out a speck in my eye. Just an area where I'm being self-centered or blind to my own weaknesses or whatever it may be. Okay, and so we need to, to help each other here. But especially for those of you and probably all of you here have been on the receiving end of somebody coming at you, you know, what does this look like to do well? Or maybe you're scared to do it. Okay, what does this look like to do well? And the key is, you should underline two words, first and then. Okay, so see, if you're going to speak the truth in love into someone's life, first take the log out then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Log withdrawal before speck inspection, if you will. Okay, and so think about first, take the log out of your eye. Think about this image. So imagine I'm standing up here with, the, with an eight-foot-long two-by-four plank in my eye. I wanted to actually bring a two-by-four up with me, and Kelsey was like, see, that's going to be way too cheesy. Please do not do it. <laughs> you can imagine, I'm standing up here, I'm like, are you guys going to do this and do that? Like, one, I look absurd. Two, I'm knocking everybody out okay, as I'm approaching you. Three, I'm blind to myself, I'm blind to you. I also can't get relationally proximate with you. This is such a, a vivid image. And what Jesus is saying here is, if you're dwelling on the, the flaws of others, or you're approaching someone else just to point out, like, you never, here's, here's what you need to do. And you don't first do serious self-examination. It's just as absurd as you walking around with a giant two-by-four plank in your eye. And so a question we have to ask, and this is what was hitting me this week, is do I spend more time confessing my own sins and weaknesses before God, working, my, working on my own selfish tendencies, more than I do thinking about or pointing out the flaws of others? Like if you were to set a timer... How much time do you spend dwelling on talking about the flaws of others versus the time you're doing serious work with God and other people to work on your own stuff? How do the scales come out? It's, it's a hard question, but this is necessary so that then when you do go to approach the individual, they, they can actually tell you're coming to them, not in a position of superiority or self-righteousness, but you've actually done the work, and now you're going to be way more gentle and humble, and they're going to be much more ready to hear you. Okay, so first, we, we have to take, we have to examine, take the log out of our own eye first. And then what? Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The more you think about this image, it's, it's brilliant. So think about a speck in one's eye. So when I was a kid, I went to Bush Gardens with my family. It's a, it's a amusement park. And after we got off one of the roller coasters, we're walking around. My older brother, he's like, man, my, my eye is hurting. And throughout the day, his eye's getting increasingly uh, more painful, and it's turning red, so we, we leave the park early, we take him to an eye doctor, and the eye doctor, you know, he's inspecting his eye, and the doctor looks up and goes, dude, you have a, you have a tiny piece of metal in your eye. And sorry, I don't mean for this to be like R-rated graphic, but it, just, it, was, it was really small, but it was really painful. He goes, yeah, you have a speck of metal in your eye, and so how did the doctor take it out? Did he just come in there with hammers, you know, beating on my brother's eye? No, he, 
he numbed it. He went in there with a really tiny instrument, was super slow and careful, and then put healing ointment out afterward, patched it up, and my brother, he can still see, thank goodness. I think you should still go to Bush Gardens, by the way. Um, Jesus' point here, I think, is the eye is so sensitive, and so is a human soul. Every human being is such a complex web of insecurity and fear and longings and wanting to be loved. And while, yes, we do have a responsibility for those we're in relationship with to help them with their weaknesses, if we just come in, you know, at, at their eyes, if you will, without first doing the work, and then to be as gentle and as grace-filled as possible, and maybe, maybe spouses especially, you need to hear this this morning, Okay, we're just, it's going to be ruinous for, for everybody, the person and you. And relatedly, we have to remember there are things going on in, in the person's life across from you that just you probably have no idea about. I, I thought about this as I heard the story of a guy. He got on a subway in New York City, and it had been a long day. He had a book he really wanted to read, so he gets on the car, and he gets a subway car to himself, which if you're, you've been in New York City, you know this is rare. So he's reading his book. He's uh, finally exhaling. And this dad comes in with a few of his kids on the subway car, and the kids are just, you know, they're making a lot of noise, just making a big ruckus. And finally, after this guy just trying to keep him out, he finally just, I think he was laying down. He sits up, and he looks at the dad, and he goes, dude, can you parent your kids? And the dad looked kind of spaced out, and he was like, oh, oh yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, the kids are just a little freaked out. We just came from the hospital, and they just lost their mom. So, yeah, sorry, I'll... I'll try to engage. And you know, immediately, the guy with the book went from judgment to empathy. And we have to remember, people in this room right now, people that you may think you know really well, and other people, there are things going on in their lives that we just have no idea. Okay, people with, who were sexually abused as a child, People who are in incredibly painful marriages. People who are battling addiction because they're just trying to numb something. It may be a gay individual who's wondering, do I even have a place in a church like this that holds to the Bible? And if we just come in with judgment and don't lead with self-examination and incredible grace, then we're not being the big-hearted people that Jesus is calling us to be. Okay, so that's why he says step two, do speak the truth, but you have to do it in love. So now number three, in light of this, and here's what Jesus, here's what makes Jesus different from every other single teacher. In and through me, you can. And what Jesus doesn't want us to walk away with is to think, okay, I've got some good moral tools. I'm going to walk out of here a slightly better person, even though he definitely does want you to love those in your life better. Because the surrounding context of the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus regular, regularly preaches is what I want from you and for you first is just to receive my love. Okay? And when you come into relationship with me, I give you a new heart and bring you into my kingdom. And then once you're in relationship with me by grace, now we begin to work on your ethical life. And this is what Je makes Jesus so different from every other religious founder. And so let's look at how does Jesus help us with this that's different from anyone else. And the first is... Easter, okay, what we're celebrating today. The resurrection does have 
real earthy implications for how we think about engaging others in the way that Jesus is talking about. How so? And we can use our political landscape as an example. So if you look at the left and the right as different as they appear on the surface in terms of their vision for utopia, right? That, a lot of ways you can sum up politics that way. Like, this is how we're going to get our vision of utopia. Their vision looks different on the outside. But at bottom, the common thread between both is that both parties believe that it's going to be through human force and coercion that's going to bring about utopia. Hence the frenzy. Okay, and hence why it's just, there is no log inspection. It's just coming at one another, okay, with hammers. If not, I recently read an article by a social commentary saying basically like the speech now for a lot of candidates is I will destroy your enemies for you. Okay, but because it makes sense that when you believe it's going to be only through your, your human effort that you're going to bring about utopia, like you're going to have to assume the place of God. You're going to have to judge. So how does the resurrection change this for us? And it's because what the scriptures teach is that the resurrection, it's not just a miracle that happened in history. The resurrection is a promise that God is bringing the world to a place where he will renew this material creation. So where now our earth is marred by grudges, anger, hostility, anxiety, child abuse, racism, sexism, hopelessness, despair, death. The promise of the resurrection is that the story of our world does not end in despair, but the collective tears of humanity will be wiped away by Jesus himself. And this changes how we approach people in relationship because not only... I hope already does it begin to fill your heart with hope and gratitude rather than just thinking about other people's flaws. But when you know that God will renew the earth and the resurrection is the promise that it will happen, he will also judge all evil, okay, either at the cross of Christ or for the individual who's committed the evil. And so he will judge. And so when you know this, this doesn't make you passive by no means. But what this does is you can reflect the kingdom that God's bringing about by caring about justice, be it in your personal relationships or in a, in a, in a broader way, right? Some of you work in policy, but you never forget the humanity of the person across from you. You, you don't play in to what we're just being taught to do now on the internet and our politics. I'm just, I'm going to demonize you. I'm going to hate you. I'm going to call you evil. But we can always remember the humanity of the person across from us because of the resurrection. We don't have to be God. We shouldn't be God. Okay, so it gives a, it should give you tremendous rest even amid the difficulty of this. I, I hope that makes at least a little sense if this is the first time you're hearing this. Secondly, what makes Jesus so different when it comes to this teaching on, on judgment is the cross. And I think one of the reasons why we're so quick to find fault or to come at people not in a graceful way when we do come at them for their flaws is because we're trying to cover up something in here. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. Is, as I was preparing for this this week, I, I didn't want to stand up here and preach this in a lot of ways because as I was thinking about like just all the ways I fail as a husband and I'm a hypocrite as a father, and I've been inconsistent and up and down as your pastor. I mean this. 
when I stand before God, I'm not going to be asking for justice. I'm going to be pleading for mercy. And so I can't go to other people, right, and treat them any differently. And for you, I've learned that in a group like this, probably every single person, you have something in your life where you know if it were to be exposed to everybody in this room, no one here would want to talk to you again. At least that's the story you tell yourself. That's not true, but it's the story you tell yourself. And maybe you also wonder, is God the same way, as Alyssa mentioned earlier in the call to worship? Okay, is God just up there, like, in his main role is to have a cloud of condemnation over me? And this is where, if you take anything away from today, this is where Jesus makes all the difference. Because two days before Easter, okay, Jesus sees you, all of you, and he steps off of his throne, and the judge becomes the judged. We're on the cross. He takes the planks in your eye, and he's nailed to them. Okay, taking any of the condemnation that you deserve okay, to give you forgiveness, and then more than that, so you can know when God looks at you, when he deals with you, how he feels about you, it's with greater delight than the best parent has for their cherished child on the best of Christmas Eves. This is really what Jesus offers, and it's, it's objectively true, and as you walk with Jesus, your subjective experience of it grows over time. And this now allows you to go judge as you've been judged with mercy. And, you know, as, as I was thinking about this, um, I heard a story from a teacher at my former seminary, and he tells this story about when his, he has two boys, and when they were young, probably six and eight, they hatched this evil mastermind plan, like against the explicit wishes of their parents. And he, in the middle of their evil mastermind plan, he catches them, you know, right in the middle of the act. And, you know, so they know they're just, they're done. And I, maybe I'll steal this, maybe I won't. But just in an off-the-cuff moment as a parent, he looks at one of his sons and he goes, what should be the punishment for the other one? And his son pauses and goes, you should forgive him. Smart child. Okay, he answered as one who knew he was about to face judgment. And how much more should we, okay, as a people who've had our judgment taken by the Lord, where the judge became the judged, given forgiveness and life full and free, and brought into his kingdom with the promise of a joyous new earth, not also be a big-hearted people okay, who take our own planks out before addressing other people's specks with care. Let's pray.